Hi everyone, welcome to Path to Glory, a Warhammer Underworlds podcast that focuses on competitive gaming, player development, and community growth. I'm on here continuing our Warband Wisdom series where Jonathan and I are taking turns covering each Warband with a special guest. We want these episodes to be as evergreen as possible, but as a point of reference, this episode was recorded on August 3rd, 2020. My special guest today is Adam, who is here to talk about the Eyes of the Nine Warband. Adam, how are you doing? I'm nobody at all, man. How are you? Doing all right. How is uh how is work from home and all that? It's it's dragging slightly, but at least it is work. Uh, so I can't really complain too much. That's absolutely true. At least at least we are fortunate enough to work. So mm. good things there. Um, how how have you been? Uh, you know, it's interesting. Even though you live in the UK, we've mm. actually we've met twice. We we have in quite a short space of time as well, actually. Yeah, the first time was at Warhammer, the Warhammer Citadel Grand Clash. Yep, that's right. Back in what, September, October. Y- yeah, right, right. Something like that. The, the yeah. weekend of the Beast Grave release. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and um, we we actually ended up playing that day. We did in round yeah, three. We did. Mm. And uh, you, I remember distinctly, like thinking, like, "Wow, Eyes of Nine got undefeated thus far." And I do that every time I see Eyes. I don't know why mm. I've, mm. I still underestimate them. And uh, mm. boy, those are some close, close games. They were tight. Yeah, they were good games, actually. Very good games. Yeah, um. I uh, was very happy that I had Fainway Crystal and Spectral Wings in my <laughs> opening hand <laughs> in one of those games. Yes, I, I can imagine. Because you, I think you won boards twice, and I got longboarded twice. I, I did, and I shamelessly longboarded you both times. I will openly and and proudly admit to that, man. We'll, we'll go into that in due course when we get to the board selections. But uh, yeah, needs must. Yeah, well, it was very very fun. And then the second time we met, fun fact. So I'm just I, you know, for those who are unaware, I live in Austin, Texas, and it was on my lunch break, and I was just walking around, and uh, I like look over my shoulder because you know sometimes you do that when someone is walking by near you. <laughs> And I was like, oh, okay, it's just you know, another guy. And I looked over and I was like, hold on, hold on a second. I, I know that person. And then we just kind of looked at each other. And I was like, Adam? <laughs> and then and then we ended up getting lunch, which was fun. It was, it was completely bizarre. Because yeah. <laughs> I was there on a related trip, um, actually with someone that I met uh, when I was there the first time in Dallas. Um, little uh, little trip over New Year's Eve, which was very pleasant. Uh, and in fact, I was trying to, well, you know, if, if you were around, it would have been good to meet up. And I think we'd messaged him. Okay, he's out for out of town for, for whatever. Um, and as I was leaving the hotel, uh, checking out, walking down the same street from my hotel, uh, <laughs> there you were waiting at the traffic light. So that was, yeah, I felt I felt strange. I felt you would feel strange and that I would, was stalking you or something, which absolutely, I can confirm is not the case. Um, but yeah, weird coincidence. <laughs> Yeah, very, very strange because I, I do remember you did reach out and we weren't sure if we were going to make it happen. Yeah. And then, but, you know, as fortune <laughs> would have it, so. No, no, games but a very good Asian lunch, so can't complain. Yes. It was some good food, yeah. It's my favorite spot, actually. It's, uh, it so. was good. Yeah, it was yeah. good. Cool. Well, um, let's let's go ahead and jump into uh, about you a little bit, Adam. So, mm. uh, you know, before we generally get into our recap, just want to learn more about you and, and, you know, give you some give our listeners some background on, on your hobby, uh, I guess, career. So how long have you been involved with uh, the hobby in general? That includes tabletop gaming and uh, painting. Uh, far too long. Far too long. Um, I think I started... Uh, hit me in was my, my uncle had a copy of the, the old HeroQuest game, the Hasbro board game, which I never really played much with him um, or my cousins, but I just remember thinking it was really cool. Uh, all the miniatures, and so it wasn't wasn't too much to get me hooked into the Games Workshop side of things when I passed a Games Workshop shop. 
Uh, I think I bought a catalogue, and that catalogue I poured over for hours and hours and hours when I was young. We're talking nine, eleven years old, that kind of range. Um, yeah, dabble with orcs, dabble with dark elves, very much into the Warhammer fantasy side, and then eventually settled on uh, Zinch as my main faction, um, which, funnily enough, cascaded into the eyes of the night when I started uh, Warhammer Underworlds. Uh, and I've been a, an acolyte of the Change of Ways ever since. Wow. I feel like nine and ten is that sweet spot, because uh, every time I speak to a majority of people, mm. their, their their stories start in those similar areas. Like for me, it was I was 10 years old. Mm. I walked into mm. a games workshop and I never looked back. Yeah, um, that's it. Highly impressionable. So, yeah. <laughs> so do you, you said you mentioned fantasy. Was that something that just appealed to you more, the sword and board aspect over the sci-fi-esque uh, yeah, vibe of 40K? So. I think so. Throwbacks from reading Tolkien as a kid. Um, I'm sure that was it. But, you know, I, yeah. I dabble these days. I'm, I'm not really firmly one camp or the other. Yeah, did you did you ever get into the uh, Thousand Suns at least? Uh, getting into it, I love the background for Forty K. I really really like the background. Uh, really like the Horace Heresy books. Um, Magnus did nothing wrong. Debatable. Um, yeah, I, I've got some paint. Well, I've got some undercoated at least. That I keep meaning to paint. Um, yeah, we'll see. At the moment, I'm really focusing on Underworlds. Um, yeah. With most of my stuff, in fact, it's all Zinch. All of it is Zinch. Um, all the Underworlds Warbands I've done were either proxies or heavy conversions to make them Zinch-related and in line with the fluff, um, which really is just me economically measuring my time that I have for the hobby. If I'm going to spend an hour doing something, I might as well make it applicable to three game systems rather than one. So that's the way I look at it, and it's a nice, a nice challenge to make things fit. No, I think that's super smart and efficient. So uh, a lot of times in the hobby, we can get spread around, but... The fact that you've had this singular focus is, is is quite enviable in some cases because I can't tell you uh, how long I've had just stuff sitting on my shelf giving me that, you know, disapproving That's look. It. That's it. I mean, there's a fine line between focus and obsession. I think I straddle that line. Uh, I'm not sure exactly where I am sometimes, but yeah, Zinch is my faction. Yeah, for sure. I try to walk the line. <laughs> uh, so speaking of, uh, you know, Eyes of the Line and Zinch, when did you, when did you start getting into Underworlds specifically? So Underworld specifically, uh, I started actually playing the game, I think when Profiteers and Guardians were released, so pretty much that weekend. Uh, and it was an impulse buy at the counter of a local gaming store in Sheffield, which I was visiting, uh, unaware entirely of the gaming scene that was there. Uh, at the time, it still persists with the Steel City crew. Um, saw Eyes of the Nine there, just thought they were a cool little Zinchi model kit. And I was just getting back into the hobby at that time after a an extended break where I was at university and then starting work. Um, yeah, I thought that'd be a quick little project. Maybe it'll pay, you know, get me into a new game as well. Little did I know, Amun, that this would be the next uh, year and a half at least of my my gaming life, and the Underworlds would would consume all. Um, so that's what started it. It was a it was an impulse buy of some cool Zinch models, and that got me into Underworlds, effectively. Yeah, they, I again a, lot, a very similar story, right? You just find a game that looks cool, or oh, it says it's quick, or has some cool models, <laughs> exactly. and then and then you get hooked for life. So. Oh, by the way, you have yeah. to buy all the expansions to be competitive. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. Okay. Yeah. It's, um, that's how they get you, for sure. <laughs> it really is. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you've talked about uh, a lot of the, you know, you mentioned earlier that you like converting and, and, and you know, making your models look a similar way. Is that the aspect of the game that you enjoy the most or is there something else? Um, honestly, it's all aspects of the game. Um, the fact it's competitive, uh, that really appeals to me. Uh, the fact it's very... You know, dice play a big part in it, but you can you can make builds that are more um, strategically focused. That that's a big appeal to me. Um, I think it, it it does straddle the line nicely between probability and planning. 
uh, which is good. I think if it's either one way or the other, it gets a bit stale or just too random. Um, I love the fact it requires no scenery, so it's easy to pick up and move and, and take somewhere. Uh, for example, that, that Grand Clash in, in Dallas that I played, um, I brought my, my Warband and deck with me just for a few pickup games. I played some great games with some really good people um, in Vancouver, Seattle, um, and I think LA as well. Um, and as a means to, to meet people while I was traveling and backpacking across the West Coast on my own, um, it was great. And, and I wouldn't be able to do that with 40k or even really uh, maybe kill team, things like that, but it would be more difficult. Whereas Underworlds is, is strictly confined to uh, very portable um, pieces, which is great. Yeah, it's really cool that you use the hobby as a way to uh, do other things and, and kind of meet new people as you're traveling, you know, a different part of the world. That That's such a crazy concept because mm. you're absolutely correct. You can't do that with Games Workshop's larger flagship, flagship games. Mm. But, you know, I guess because everything kind of fits in that small little square box, right? Um, mm. You can just stick it in your travel pack and it doesn't take up too much room. That's exactly it, yeah. That's so cool. Um, are there any special achievements you're currently proud of in the world of Warhammer Underworlds? Um, I, I suppose how well, proud is a is a, a relative term. I was quite pleased with myself that um, uh, I think the one that we talk about the the Grand Clash in Dallas uh, came fourth in the end. Admittedly, there weren't too many people, but it was it was nice to get the special dice. Um, and then the one after that in Nottingham, uh, the October one, I placed thirteenth, which I was very pleased about. Um, obviously, a lot of it comes down to the day, the matchups, and the the way the dice go, the way the draws go, um, but yeah, yeah, that was that was good, and I think vindicated a lot of the practice that I put into the Eyes of Nine. Um, I think I've I've racked up far too many games with them. I've stepped away from them really since December time, but um, it was nice to get um, some some payback from the time spent into it and, uh, and trying to get a workable playstyle for them. Yeah, no, no, absolutely. It's really cool when people really put their all into one warband, <clears throat> and uh, you know whether it's competitively viable or not at the time making it work and making it mm. function and perform at a high level is is very rewarding i've been doing that recently with some of the more or less um obvious least strong things and it's okay. it's been it's more fun in its own right yes so. definitely definitely i don't think i could ever play a meta grimwatch deck it's just not not what appeals to me yeah yeah which is it's interesting they're making a comeback now but um <laughs> they're still good they're yeah still yeah really good. yeah they're they're still great um <laughs> Yeah, there's as, as a meta as a meta player myself, I I don't say that nothing is beneath me, but I would agree with the Grimwatch one. There's just <laughs> as, there's a point where whether what you've said or done in the past, yeah. you just can't go back. So yeah. I, I, I can never a, a particular a particular dislike of the uh, the ghouls. <laughs> yeah, I can I can never play them now, even if they're the most balanced <laughs> warband. I just can't. You really can't. <laughs> I got a brand to protect. <laughs> um, last question on on the kind of the game yeah. the gaming history and stuff. Are are you working on anything game or hobby wise right now? Um, lockdown has been a real blessing for my hobby time. Um, just not being able to go out and, and do things in the evenings has meant that I've been sat at my desk painting, which has been brilliant. Um, I think my completed warband count is up to ten, which is unheard of for me to actually finish modeling projects. It's, awesome. it's, it's madness, really. My little IKEA glass cabinet in the corner is looking uh, nicely full, which is good. At the moment, I'm just finishing off the my profiteers, which I uh, am enjoying playing. They're their chaos dwarves, which have used some some little jewelry bits with a very kind of Persian aesthetic, um, very kind of dark and, and grim, harking back to their old kind of Warhammer fantasy fluff, yeah, with mm -hmm. a few um, you know little little zinch icons scrawled away there. Um, so pleased with how they're coming out. It's just just the finishing touches before I unleash them on Facebook. 
Yeah, no, I, I look forward to seeing that. Do you have any advice for uh, anyone who is struggling to find motivation to paint from home, despite given uh, all this time, I suppose? I mean, motivation is a, is a funny thing, uh, generally. Um, it can of worms, I suppose, but uh, the best way to do it is habit. If you set a habit, then you'll get stuff done. Um, and that just takes a bit of planning, uh, half an hour a day. If you, I think it's something like if you do it, something, whatever that is, for 21 days in a row, um, ideally at the same time, you will keep doing it. It will just become habitual, whether that is running, whether that is, is you know, weightlifting or painting. It's the same same systems in the brain that get get switched and eventually you'll see progress and you'll you'll keep wanting to do it anyway because you are you're getting that dopamine hit for finished projects and and new techniques learned etc so habits i think yeah good advice good advice i need to apply that to my sleep schedule <laughs> <laughs> um cool well, let, let's talk about eyes of the nine yes. um Sounds good. so you know you have this undying love for zinch and it's translated to this game um aside from that i suppose what is it about this war man that makes them worth learning and playing to you? So Eyes of the Nine are unique, and I think in well, in my opinion, they are uniquely a challenge as well. Uh, they are not a standard war band by really any definition. Um, they are jack of all trades, master of none. I think that describes them quite well. Um, because they are fragile, which we'll go into more later, and they're typically quite unforgiving as a result. So you need to be playing ahead to succeed with them routinely. Um, and this often means that you have to approach the game in a slightly different way maybe to other warbands uh, maybe more precise with what you want to do and what you want to achieve in a round and they don't really neatly fit into one of the three main archetypes control, aggro and objective play um, I think the best comparison might be Ulthari's Guardians who I think trade the horror and all the movement tricks that, that Eyes 9 have which again we'll, we'll discuss in more detail later for more durability across the board um, but really they are not similar to anything compared to say a reaver's being very similar to a god's one hunter and i think that is is quite quite special right on so very unique and and uh challenging mm, i think so yeah that's that's cool and, and obviously very flexible as well so uh let's get into that flexibility and some of those aspects tell me about the fighters what are they like how do they work together uh, and you know how do they function as a whole warband so it's a real assortment um there's no standard stat line which has variations upon it as you get with some warbands um, you've got a real mishmash. So starting from the bottom up, you've got the two, uh, for want of a better term, better term, Dangle Bros, Navia and Tirosh, who are two Karak Acolytes. Um, <laughs> their, their stats are pretty poor. Um, they have two wounds each, so they're very fragile. Um, they are very inaccurate when they're uninspired. Slightly more accurate when they are inspired, but that rarely happens because their inspired mechanic is so bad. Um, for reference sake, their inspired mechanic is making a successful uh, range three or more attack. Um, which is probably a silver lining to those two pieces that they do have a range three attack and that can catch people off sometimes um, it's a sorceress bolt and uh, I, I wish they were wizards I wish they were level one wizards it would open so many more avenues and, and be very characterful but they're not they have a measly two sword attack doing one damage at range three um, we've, we've mentioned two wounds Navi has one shield Turish has one dodge despite the fact the model has a massive shield on his back that's by the by I suppose main things to pick out from these two are their, their movement. They're both movement four, which is pretty good. Um, Turosh, his range one attack, because they both have a range one and a range three attack. His range one attack has two damage. So two swords uninspired, but if he does inspire, it's three swords. And that can, again, catch people out. Sometimes that extra damage point is what you need to take out a key enemy fighter. You know, Maybe you want to put Potion of Rage on him to make him four swords and therefore have a better chance of, of doing that critical extra bit. Of, uh, of, of damage so that's worth knowing about um, Navia 
gets an extra sword, uh, an extra dice on her sorceress bolt, so she's now three swords with cleave. So actually, when she inspires, it becomes quite quite accurate. It's not bad. Um, mm-hmm. It also provides an avenue for scoring branching fate if if you've chosen it. Wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but it's worth knowing about. Th- those are the two rubbish ones. They are they're, they're not very good, and in many ways, in many games, you'd rather you had one rather than two because it feels like the other is just free glory for your opponent to uh, to cut down. Um, they're very fragile, and often the first we're jumping ahead of ourselves slightly here, but one of the first moves in a game might be bringing the one that's, that's most forward backwards just to save them um, because they can't really put much of a fight. Next up, we've got Ch- Kacharik who is a Zangor, a big, scary, birdie beast man. Very similar to Draknar from the Spoilers Warband. Um, very similar stat line, uninspired. So again, movement four, so pretty quick. Um, three wounds, which is his big downside, and one shield, so, so not particularly durable. Again, quite fragile. Uh, but he has got quite a meaty attack. So when inspired, he's doing three damage, but range one attack with two hammers. Now, two hammers isn't the best, but actually when he inspires, he can re-roll uh, any attack dice in that attack which makes him actually significantly quite a bit better. Um, I think looking at the stats, when he's uninspired versus one shield, he's got a 54% chance of a successful hit. When he's inspired, it's a 75% chance. Uh, again, it's wow. two dodge. gets from 47% to 65.5%. So a subpar 50-50 attack becomes actually about two-thirds against a two-dodge fighter. So it's notable. Effectively, he gets prize vendetta against everybody, which is, is quite good. Um, the difficulty, again, though, is inspiring him because it's not the easiest. A, a wizard has to successfully be cast when he's adjacent to them. Uh, worth noting there, actually, is that it could be Vortimus, your friendly fighter. Uh, it could be an enemy fighter. So if an enemy fighter casts a spell next to him, he actually does inspire. It rarely happens, but if it does, it's worth knowing about. Um, and that three damage actually is quite quite big. Not many warbands have uninspired three damage with a four hex threat range. So that's good and worth knowing about. But again, fragile. Uh, the leader of the pack is, is Vortimus, so Vortimus is sort of your standard wizard. Four wounds, again, four movement, but he's got one dodge uninspired and two dodge inspired. So he's still pretty fragile, particularly because he's got a massive water, massive target sign on his chest and his back and on his sides from everyone that's ever played Eisenheim before. Um, they're going to be gunning after him. And, you know, if he dies, it's, it's a big deal, particularly early on. Um, we'll go through all of the various builds that, that I've seen and I think are successful, but... I think a key weakness is investing too much in him because it's easy to do. His attacks, he's got two attacks. One is a magic um, attack, so three uh, range on swirls with one damage uninspired, which goes to two damage inspired, which actually can be quite good. And also worth mentioning is his his close combat attack, which is a range of two, which is actually quite good. Two hammers for two damage. And this is worth knowing about if he's on one wound or if there is no advantage to casting a spell compared to doing a attack with your rune staff because hammers have the same likelihood as swirls he's often better off using the rune staff because he doesn't then uh, risk uh, taking a damage himself on a double crit so again rarely comes up but it's worth knowing about he has a an action on his fighter card where he can summon the blue horror and the blue horror really is key um to the warband in my opinion um so if there are no friendly blue horror or brimstone horrors on the battlefield place a friendly blue horror on any starting hex uh, which segues nicely into the Blue Horror himself, who is a arguably the strangest fighter in Warhammer Underworlds. Um, he has quite a unique mechanic, which I think is worth dwelling on slightly, if I may, um, where he flips. So he doesn't inspire, he can't inspire, but when he loses his wounds, um, so he has two to start with, when he takes two wounds damage, uh, he flips to the Brimstone Horror. The card flips and the model is replaced on the hex that he takes that damage and is replaced with the Brimstone Horror. 
categorically, it does say in the FAQ that the blue horror can never be taken out of action because he flips instead. Um, which he's got several so what, so your opponent doesn't get the glory for flipping him. Um, and it's where things start to get unusual and start to get interesting. So, first of all, he is summoned. So he isn't set up at the start. And that means you've got four fighters for setup as opposed to five. And that can give you the crit advantage to go first as opposed to second. And that, that, that is a factor. Um, here's an action from Vortimus. So that makes the Vortimus even more important. And there aren't any Gambit instant summons, as has with um, so Scritch. Um, so there are always more for the uh, Spike Claw Swarm and the Grimwatch card equivalent. So he can't be summoned if Vortimus... Uh, is dead and he can't be summoned if Fortimus has charged that turn which is worth knowing for your planning because you know all too often get excited charging Fortimus kill someone have a little a little victory dance and realise that you can't summon the blue horror that was integral to your plan so that's worth knowing about um, it does mean though because it's an action uh, your power step follows directly afterwards after you've summoned him which can result in some good shenanigans that can be very hard for your opponent to stop um, and that's where the fun starts so as we mentioned, when he will be taken out of action, he's replaced by the Brimstone Horrors. Um, don't get the glory for flipping. Uh, so it, it can really mess with your opponent's plans. Um, you can also plan where he's going to be after your opponent's attacks. So he can't be driven back on the turn that he flips, and therefore you can plan where he might be a bit, a bit better. That's quite useful when you're holding objectives uh, and generally just getting in the way. Uh, although it's worth mentioning that he can be killed in, in one shot with the use of Gambits. So... Uh, a one damage attack plus a snare or a pit trap can do it. Uh, what wrong? Sorry. So one damage um, and then snares, pit traps, etc. Uh, to kill the. Start that again. So if he takes one damage and the opponent stacks snare and pit trap, the snare takes off the second wound, flips the brimstone, and the pit trap can also stack and that can kill him in one, uh, as well as other plane damage. So lethal ward, encroaching shadow, collapse, distraction into a lethal. Um, they can all take that one wound off that that brimstone horror. Um, worth mentioning too, so, so Magors and Grimwatch have their own push cards and they could be useful, uh, dangerous to you to be pushed into lethals after they've done the damage, they've flipped you to the Brimstone and they've taken you out because of, uh, of, of that Brimstone's one wound. Um, and so that, that really is, the so what's that is to be mindful of positioning. So um, if you can avoid it and you think they might have an encroaching shadow or a collapse, don't put them on edge hexes. Um, if you think they have collapse but not encroaching shadow, you can put them in no man's land where collapse can't be used because they have to be three hexes in either opponent's. Uh, half. Um, more quirks, uh, please. Evan, if, if I'm if I'm rabbiting on, please do tell me to, uh, to move on. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it, this is this is all great information. It's uh, I th I thought it was really funny that a lot of the um, it was it was like cool because you would say or, or unique that you know this this fighter is obviously not very good, and then we move on to this fighter, and then it's not good, and then we move on to this fighter, and you know he's a really cool attack, but you know generally not very good, and then. You know, move on. So I, I, it's really interesting to hear the strengths mm -hmm. and the, the weaknesses, but there's overall a negative, almost a negative connotation associated with the stats mm -hmm. surrounding the individual fighters, which makes it so interesting to me because they're a warband that a lot of people will relentlessly pursue and play, such as yourself. Mm. And so I just find it so interesting that um, they're very deceiving on paper, but as a, as a cohesive unit, mm. they're definitely one of those warbands that functions better together. And, and can post great results as you have and other people have in the past and recently. So it's very it is, it is very zinchy. Very it is very zinchy. <laughs> that's, that's the best way to put it. Um, but no, you did, you did a great job at going over the war bands and the fighters particularly and, and kind of some ways on how to uh, utilize them best initially 
Do you have a favorite fighter specifically for any reason? I, I think it has to be the horror. Um, and it has to be the horror because there's so much utility and so much oddness that can spring from that and it can really catch people off. Um, I think to to kind of summarise the rest of, of the quirks to continue on from the previous um, the previous part, just other bits that are worth knowing about is that you, you remove the tokens when the blue flips to the brimstone. So if you've moved or charged with the brimstone, your opponent flips into the brimstone, you, you lose those tokens, which means you can then move and charge with the brimstone, which is very useful. Uh, worth knowing as well, though, is that you also lose any guard tokens that you might have, which makes Survival Instincts a very, very good card on him because you don't ever lose that. Um, this has been FAQ, so you can move through lethal hexes, flip to the brimstone horror in the one that removed the last wound from the, the blue horror, and continue with that action with your remaining movement. And for all intents and purposes, they're the same fighter, so you score calculator risk from that movement, for example. But it's just worth knowing that that is a tool in your toolbox. Um, another tool in your toolbox, which is, seems to be what these guys are all about, little quirks, little tools, little things that can really um, give you an edge, is that the brimstone has an attack reaction to their own attack, where they make a second one after the first one, after the, after the first attack made that round. They're two swords attacks, but two attacks can actually, actually be quite good. Um, you've got a... I think it's against one dodge, you've got a 58% chance of the blue horror's three dice attack going through, but a 69% chance of either one of those two sword attacks going through. So um, you're actually far more accurate when you flip and have that reaction, uh, which you can manipulate to your own ends, actually. Um, you can manipulate that through charging through a lethal, flip to the brimstone for that more accurate attack, uh, if you really need someone pushed off an objective, for example. Um, and it's also quite good for scoring steady assault because each of those reaction attacks counts as one attack. So if you, for instance, summon the blue horror, second activation, attack with the blue horror, third activation, run through a lethal, flip to the brimstone, uh, and attack with your two attacks, that's steady assault. So it's again worth knowing about. And finally, Very cool. finally with the blue horror, uh, it keeps all the buffs between flips. So great fortitude turns a two wound horror, uh, sorry, two wound blue horror, one wound brimstone horror into a three wound blue horror, two wound brimstone horror. So you, you get kind of added benefit to that and sudden growth even more so four wounds and three wounds which can get very annoying very quickly <laughs> yeah right on so it seems like there's just a lot of creativity and and usefulness and, and technicality behind this model it's so unique in the way it functions it's it doesn't start on the board it's summoned mm -hmm. and then there are some cool very like flavorful and lore uh, lore inspired design mechanics that really allow it to function as it does in the setting of the game by splitting into smaller pieces when it gets damaged, which I think is it's really cool. Yeah, it, it is great. And I think, uh, even though I've got my gripes that Navi and Tirosh aren't level 1 wizards, I think they did a great job in designing Blue Horror. Whoever whoever put that together, I think, did a really, really great thing. Yeah. Well, hopefully they're listening. Hopefully. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. So now that we've covered how this Warband works, yeah. um, you know, and, you, and you've definitely mentioned some highs and lows throughout the, uh, the, the you know, the... Uh, the conversation so far but what are, what are some of the eyes on the nine strengths right yeah so strengths they are they're quick they are quite fast moving four across the board apart from the blue horror that's movement three um they have access to faction and horror tricks that can be huge for positioning and positioning can really win games um and and i think has quite a high skill level but when you get used to a few set plays it can be quite easy to tease out they're relatively unknown not many people play them so you can catch people out um, Vortimus can get very strong when he's buffed up uh, full Emperor Palpatine screaming unlimited power um, <laughs> damage you know he can he can do four damage on a single spell action if he's fully buffed up which is is really good and great fun um, and they've got damage three uninspired from movement four fighter which is Kacharak uh, and that can be very very good as well 
the opportunities that lends them, I suppose, is that they are unpredictable and they can be underestimated, which is quite a potent combination. Uh, they've got potential to inflict a lot of damage in where you want it as well, because they are fast and they can leverage uh, that burst damage quite well um, when they need to, which can be great for problem solving. Um, in terms of weaknesses, they're not quite fast enough for some things, so you can't run gather momentum and cover ground with any real dependency. Uh, I used to run cover ground with them in Night Vault because that's when Fame Crystal um, counted for that six movement if it was far enough away, because that's been a the new card for the re-release. So it was rotted that you can't score it that way. Um, that's no longer really an option. They are fragile, so a leader leader focus with no spell casting redundancy. If he dies, a lot of the cards that you might put in the deck, gambit spells and things like Eldritch Wards, you can no longer use. That can be a large portion of your deck now useless if he dies early. Um, they're not very accurate, so you know his Vortimus's two swirl attack is is fine, but you know I think it's what fifty five percent for a two hammer or two swirl attack to go through against one shield uh, you know a 50 50 coin toss if he's charging in isn't a good gamble if you might lose him in return if the attack doesn't go through or whatever um the, the faction cards are fine they've got some real you know, diamonds in the rough but generally they're pretty average compared to some of the, the beast grave warbands um and their their fighter number is a little bit awkward so you've got four plus one um it's not quite enough to really focus on objective play um but uh, but there's still enough that you've got lots of targets for enemy aggro. So it's almost in a weird kind of between the two spots. Um, so their threats, I suppose, are a result of that. Then they're not overly good at any one thing. So they're not really good at pure aggro, not really good at pure objective play. And control is difficult um, to go pure control. But the latter, I think, control is, is the most viable. It takes a bit of finesse to, to get used to. Uh, and I think that summarizes the weaknesses fairly well. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Getting into some of those strengths and weaknesses there, do you... Do you find, uh, you know, it's actually funny, it's, you're, you're, as you're telling us about the Warband, it's nice hearing some of your thought, and the overarching theme, whether it's strength or weakness, is, is slightly confusing, right? Mm-hmm. Which is perfect, because again, this is Zinch. <laughs> so, you know, they're, they're not enough to hold objective, but they're, they're also too many to be, uh, yes. Yes. Uh, to be targeted by aggro and things like that. But you're absolutely correct, Vortimus is definitely a strength of the Warband. He can be a monster. He's yes. as powerful as Stormsire and Ilthari when he wants to be, or if you want him to be. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's generally, it's one of those few moments where like you, you do put all your eggs in one basket, right? Because in the past, uh, and you know, you mentioned control, you've seen them do very well with the Acolyte strategy. Mm-hmm. And then now they kind of do that something similar with Lost Pages to an extent. Mm. So uh, it, it is really cool that you know your opponent knows that Vortimus needs to go down early mm-hmm. and you know that you need to keep Vortimus as long as, as, as you're you're able to and so that's a fun mini game in itself within the game that's it and it's it's the dependency on him that, that really is a key weakness for the warband um, that, that, well it's the absolute key weakness for the warband I think um, because okay you put everything into him and yeah okay he might power up and get very good but because he's got such a target on his back and early game for that first the whole first round you probably won't use him too much in an aggressive manner because to do so would often be to expose him um and, and a you know a skilled player will try and have multiple angles of attack and if you do expose him they will they'll jump on that so it's it's tough it's tough to get the balance yeah are there any other uh you know weaknesses or strengths that you would like to mention for the warband i think those are the key ones that i've, I've brought out 
but I'm obviously more than happy for you to bring up others if you can think of some. No, no, no. Just just confirming before we kind of jump into some of the strategies or play tiles that this warband naturally finds successful. So, sure. you know, you've mentioned control. You've mentioned that they're jack of all trades. Uh, aside from some of the control aspects that we've seen to be the most successful competitively, yeah. do you think there are any alternate ways to play them? I mean, I think they, they, they almost have to flex to some extent. Uh, I think pure control is very, very difficult. Um, I think so even even the Tomes deck that I played in the October Grand Clash, you had, had Lethal Ward and Encroaching Shadow in that just for a little bit of extra damage, which uh, was really key. And without those cards, I would have really struggled in some matchups. Um, they can they can make a huge difference. I think to to go purely one or the other is is setting yourself up to for weakness against certain matchups. Um, so so I think they have to flex to an extent. I think you you can play aggro with them, and I think more so in this current meta than ever before. Uh, well, except maybe a brief period at the end of uh, Nightfall when Power and Bound was was released. Um, and that they can play objective play, but again, I think you're better off flexing to, in some way. I think. Control is their preferred playstyle, generally speaking. Um, in, in my mind, there are four ways that you can leverage their advantages while trying to mitigate the, their, their weaknesses. Um, roughly categorised, I'd say those are so tomes and lost pages, a big end score uh, as your main kind of glory gathering um, mechanism, with generally non-interactive surges, so things like calculate risk, scrum, shortcut. Because you're trying to get that that glory to put the pages on the tomes on, while keeping your guys safe. And if you don't expose them to risk, then then all the better. Um, there's the to the end builds with with draw mechanics, the so friends of search and natural truce that are very popular at the moment, and I think those work really really well with Eyes of the Nine. Um, you know, every warband likes to use their gambits and their upgrades, but um, because it is a specific strength of Eyes of the Nine in some cases, um, making sure that you get those and you draw those to use is quite important. Um, and it also allows you to skimp on the number of gambits you might need for certain certain objectives. So uh, shortcut. Maybe you can get away with, with just having a deceitful step and say confusion if you have frenzied search and natural truce in because you're more likely to draw them. Um, even scorched earth it becomes sort of viable then because you could use uh, leave nothing to chance and absence on making, but you're likely to draw one of those. Um, so to the end, I think is quite a good place to for them. Uh, surgical objective play is the third. So you, you know path to victory uncommitted where you only need to hold two, and a push things like tactical supremacy play. Um, they have a faction card which is identical to the former's key, which is silver tether. Uh, where if any if they're on an objective in the third end phase they get one glory. Uh, it's not a huge amount, but if you play around that and have that as your focus, that can that can work. I had a very experimental shardcaller build, which um, I think needed more patience than I was willing to give it. Uh, really focusing on their ability <laughs> to to move stuff around and utilize the horror's mobility, unique mobility. Um, using shardcaller with keys and uh, yeah, one and four and, and two and five and stuff like that. Um, the jury's out on that. If someone can make that work, then my hats off to you. Um, and the fourth build, I think, is is again the magic heavy build that we've already sort of mentioned. I think you can go two ways in this: either either <laughs> the Emperor Palpatine lightning out the, the hands, going crazy, uh, aggro build, or more of a I don't know what's a friendly wizard, uh, Radagast the Brown kind of Autumnus, just chilling out in the back, casting his spells, uh, <laughs> raking up the glory for things like uh, Magical Storm, Agents of Change, which is their their own faction, Master Magical Storm, uh, cast mm -hmm. four spells in a phase for two glory which is, is very popular with these guys. As well as a really good surge that they have, Faction Cards, Master of Magic, where you, um, you it's a surge card, uh, cast two spells, which is pretty good. And it makes things like Overpower, Rising Power, things like that quite good. 
Um, side note on Rising Power, it's I've seen this misplayed a couple of times. It just just to get it out there, uh, side note. The spell has to be successfully cast to score it, so you can't just roll three dice to do it. It fails and you score it. Um, it's the wording on the card is it's cast, not it's an attempt to cast. And the wording in the rule book uh, clears that up. Just just a side note there, because I have seen it. So those are the four, I think, main styles. Um, and I think the best way to approach it would be to pick two of those and put them together. Uh, and I think, generally right speaking, that's not a bad way to approach it. Yeah, yeah, no, flex, flex seems important. And, and, and that was a pretty comprehensive breakdown there. And, and you're absolutely correct. There, there are so many different ways that you can play them. And, mm. and I agree that there are multiple avenues that you should probably try out. And, and maybe they do require more patience than others. And so uh, generally, as, as you've mentioned, there is a there is a slight, I suppose, a control um, like counter aggro build that I seem to see that finds the most success. Mm. Uh, but then also there's these control objective builds that also find their own uh, niche as well. So very exciting to see that. And, uh, you know, nice Radagast the Brown reference as well. He doesn't really <laughs> come up too much in general, I think. I'm not sure where and my so, that came from, but... Uh, no, no, no! It's great because most people who who haven't seen The Hobbit or or read some of the books uh, wouldn't be familiar with him. Actually, sure, so, <laughs> sure, yeah, very cool. Um, well, good. I think you did a great job of of talking about how you can play them and and how to play them even in the current meta. Were there any other um, strategies or or advice you'd like to give to someone who might be wanting to try them now? Um, I suppose you have touched on it and we, we've mentioned it before but those control elements the, I think the reason why they are so important is it comes back to their core weaknesses their fragility uh, and their their unpredictability and control cards generally allow you to leverage that better so things like we'll go into it in more detail when we go into the universal uh, useful cards but distractions I mean they're, they're great in every deck but even better with these guys things like center of retention you get a lot of leverage out of that and, and various things so but I think that's that's why they're good is because of the fragility of the warband and your requirement to control your opponent's aggro um, and, and it just feeds into the unpredictability that your opponent's not sure what you're going to do um, I think in terms of deck building in the current meta um, as I say, pick two of the four that I mentioned um, I'd say maybe the only two that don't really work as well together uh, would be an entirely uh, aggro 40 Magic build, um, as well as Lost Pages, because I think in that build you just don't have enough upgrades to, to keep him safe and also buff him. Um, so I suppose that is a caveat to the, the pick two. Um, but you know, you pick three and see how it works. I've definitely seen um, good blends. Uh, and in fact, shout outs to, I think, I think is it Eric, who came fifth in a recent Vassal tournament. Um, and Isla, the line player, did come fifth anyway. And I think looking at his deck, he's he's gone for a, uh, a mix of these two playstyles. Um, so, yes, that, that's not a bad place to start. I'd say avoid tomes in the current meta. Um, I think tome of vitality being restricted was a big hit to that playstyle. Um, as was losing keep them guessing, which is quite a good objective for them to use. That, that January fire list really hit them pretty badly. So, I'd, I probably wouldn't play tomes with them. I'd, I'd edge more towards pages, uh, but, but give it a go. Yeah, right on, right on. Um, well, let's get some of those cards then. And, and, and actually, yeah, before we do that, shout out to uh, Eric. We... He is actually someone who's been doing very well with Eyes of the Night Online, mm. and I had the pleasure of playing him last game, uh, last event. So, uh, fun stuff there. Mm. Um, but let, yeah, let's get in some of those cards. Uh, so, what are some of your favorite faction-specific cards for the Eyes of the Nine? So, hands down, best card, Deceitful Step. In every deck, it has to be. Um, just a brilliant card. So, for those that aren't aware, because uh, Eyes of the Nine cards aren't particularly well known, um, it's a gambit. 
you roll a dice, a magic dice on a on a lightning. You teleport one of your fighters onto a starting hex. You have to select the fighter before you roll. On a swirl, you put them onto an unoccupied objective. So it's got so much utility. It's great for capturing objectives, escaping scary situations. You score a shortcut. Generally, bamboozle your opponent. Um, it works great if, if you're trying to get an objective and there's an objective on a starting hex because you can guarantee that they teleport to that spot and there's no uncertainty. Um, worth noting though is, is it doesn't work if an, a fighter is adjacent to them, an enemy fighter is adjacent to them, uh, which is, is definitely worth remembering because it can catch you out. You can you think you've got this master escape plan uh, and, and it doesn't work because the card conditions aren't, um, aren't fulfilled. Uh, it's where push cards become a force multiplier, uh, as do cards such as Bound by Fate and Shifting Reflection, uh, to get that key fighter away from the adjacent fighter, and then you play Deceitful Step. So those combos are just worth keeping in mind. Sidestep as well, two steps forward. Uh, worth keeping in mind those combos when you've when you've got that card, uh, because you can, you can get more out of it. So Deceitful Step, best card, and I think in every archetype there, it's, it's just too good to pass up, because... Uh, yeah, it's, it's just great. <laughs> um, Bound by Fate is a similar card. It's not as good, and actually I don't tend to run it because it's often, in the current meta, the 11th or 12th card in my power deck, and it's it's just a bit easy to cut. Um, Bound by Fate, you swap. It's like a confusion, uh, but only for friendly fighters, and they are within three hexes. So um, it's got lots of utility to catch people out. Um, it's good for, for example, running Vortimus forward, uh, doing some damage, and then jumping back to, to safety the previously placed uh, model and it's good insurance if he's trying to to kill something and he's afraid of what will happen if he doesn't kill it um once he's been launched and, and inevitably rolls two lightnings for his attack which is <laughs> um master of magic great surge card that we've already mentioned so um cast two spells it's pretty good but worth mentioning is that only really works if you've got plenty of, of gambit spells and that's because vortimus's unbuffed attack has got a less than 60 percent chance of going off I think it's 59% chance against a one dodge fighter, and you're not going to get an easier target than that. So it's it's fine, but if you're pinning your hopes and the safety of this key fighter uh, on that, it, it can tempt you into bad plays. So really, it's only viable if you've got at least you know four or five gambits. Sounds like you're so. speaking from hard experience um, there. <laughs> bitter, bitter, painful experience. I mean. <laughs> um. Agents of Change, again, it depends on the build that you choose, but we've already mentioned it. Same as Magical Storm, cast four spells in a phase. It's a pretty solid card and a great boost. Um, I think Honourable Mentions, Silver Tether, we've already mentioned it. Formless Key, but fashion specific, you can stack them. Empowered Sorcery is very good if you're going for an aggro build. It's plus one damage to spell attacks. Uh, it's a Vortimus. And with Glory Seeker, if he's inspired, he's doing four damage um, with each attack, which can get um, just, yeah, great fun. Um, you almost always take Glory Seeker, incidentally, of a great strength because you can use it on the horror, and Kacharik's doing four damage either way, so Glory Seeker always have a great strength. Um, let's see what else. Chosen by Destiny is quirky, uh, can be useful. Generally, now that Lona is off the restricted list, you'd probably take that instead. Chosen by Destiny, for those that don't know, is a one glory end of phase objective. If either Navi or Tirosh is dead and the other is alive, um, it, it can work, but it's not the most reliable. Summoner is, is, isn't is bad. It's a surge for the second time that you score the Blue Horror. I've used it in my tourney deck before. I've run it in the, the Grand Clash in October. Um, it's decent when you've got a horror-focused deck, but just be mindful. Um, it, it can dictate your play to an extent where you don't summon the horror for a second time because you might draw into it, um, and that's worth being aware of if you do play it. Piercing Bolt is 
not bad. Uh, Vortimer specific, it's an upgrade. It gives him access to a new spell, a lightning spell, which is one damage even if he's inspired. But it has cleave, so it's far more accurate. And it stacks with an 8, so it can be really, really accurate. Uh, and you can still get it to 3 damage with an aggro list if you have Glory Seeker and Empowered Sorcery. So that's worth worth knowing about. Uh, and Honourable Mention goes to Driven by Ambition. Uh, plus 2 movement for the next move, but you can't use it for a charge. And I can kind of see it working with um, Spectral Wings in a to the end build to score cover ground. It's an easy surge. Um, I can see that working if you've got those extra draw mechanics to get it through. So you can right play that one. Uh, that, that I think is more or less yeah. the fashion. No, no, so some still some some great options there, right? You know, some cards mm-hmm. are definitely mm-hmm. very strong in some of the certain builds that you mentioned earlier, but overall some really cool cards in general. And uh I, I see uh, silver th- tether a lot, um the the surge for two mm-hmm. spells. And so uh it's really cool. I actually really like the the Narvia Tirosh card. I f- pardon the name but, you know, because they're rivals and that's their story inside mm-hmm. the warband. And uh, that could work really well with Martyred, maybe. Um, yeah, it, it can do. Yeah. And it's got cool uh, card art, which I'm a sucker for. Yeah. Yeah. I guess. But when you start talking about the card art, you know, maybe maybe it's time to move on to another card. <laughs> it's a, it's a it slippery is. slope. I think that edges into that obsession territory as opposed yeah, to... Yeah, maybe, maybe. So uh, you, you <laughs> mentioned some universal cards, but what kind of universal cards... Uh, is this warband looking for in general? You mentioned pushes earlier and some glory multipliers. Yeah. What are some other things that help here? Yeah, so there's so many options again because they can do so many things and it depends on in which way you 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 focus. Uh, generically, I think shortcut and, and all the shenanigans associated with cards that score that card are, are excellent. Shortcut generally is a fantastic objective because it's a surge one glory and you score it in the power step, which is brilliant. So drawing another objective in the power Steps potentially score other objectives is is, is brilliant. Um, you have the seafall step in every deck, so you know one two cards extra, and it's an auto include really. Uh, confusion and spell confusion, which is arcane transposition, which by the way is fantastic for inspiring Kacharik because you can you can place him and Vortimus together on starting hexes adjacent, cast that spell, they swap places, maybe score shortcut as well, and you inspire. Kacharik. Nice, it's it's a win. Um, because it's a single lightning, you've got a ninety-one percent chance of casting it. But just beware of rolling double crits on that if it's just a greedy extra cast. Because um, if if that puts you within kill range, just really uh, weigh up whether it's worth it. Ninety-one percent is good, but it's not hundred percent, and so it, that nine percent will happen. Uh, Shift and reflection, which also scores shortcut, is very good for escaping, uh, and you can really stack that with cards like distractions, uh, center of attention, restless prize, sidestep um, to get either yourself or your opponent on an objective. To then use Arcan Transposition to teleport to the backfield or um, or teleport next to somebody that's hiding or, or whatever. Um, Bound by Fate, we've talked about, sometimes you use it, but it's hard to find space. Shadowed Step, which also scores shortcut, I rarely use just because you've got better alternatives. Um, so that's that. I think Swift Capture is a very good card. Um, it, it leverages your mobility and your ability for that hopper, that horror to pop up. Hopper's not a bad name. And Nab, an objective. Um, it's even better when, when mixed with Mischief Spirits or Restless Prize because you can put that objective onto a starting hex and bring him up straight there uh, on a summon and score that straight away. So the Swift Capture works pretty well. Uh, Martyred is good. Uh, the main weakness being, same for every warband that plays it, it can't be scored after you've drawn it, which can be frustrating. Uh, and sometimes you can telegraph that as well when you've got tor- li- poor Tiros standing alone right in the front field. So trying not to telegraph that card can be can be quite key to right. score it. Um, steady Assault we've talked about with the Brimstone uh, double reaction that can be good um, 
And playing jealous defence and standing shoots can also really help with scoring not only steady salt, but also getting a bit of extra damage down in key spots as well. Um, Steadfast's Steadfast defender has got good synergy uh, with the horror, so it triggers when the blue floor. Of... <laughs> trying to speak too quickly, when the blue horror flips to the brimstone horror, you do score Steadfast defender because they count as the same fighter. Um, and oddly, then you might want to make sure that um, there's enemies with damage one attacks that are out of your um, out of kill zone, out of attack range of the horror. If you're trying to score that, because a damage one attack to an undamaged horror can push them, and you won't flip and you won't score steadfast defender. So it's just worth knowing about. Um, but if you go on guard, you can guarantee that you'll score that if the horror is attacked, if the blue horror is attacked, and that's worth knowing as well. It's partly why survival instincts is so incredible on the horror, because you can guarantee what will happen if he is attacked, and it's possibly worth a restricted guard because it is also very good to keep Wasmus alive. Um, scrum is a great surge, it's passive, you can summon it with the horror jumping between uh, a group of three already, you can summon it if, if against hall wall bands it's brilliant but you run the risk that they might score it as well. Warning shot is good, uh, you've got two sword attacker plenties, um, look at your Navi Tirosh, and the brimstone horror gets two chances to miss, although confirmation bias tells me that whenever you're trying to score this, um, you'll roll double crits because uh, that's just how it goes. Every time. Every single time, yeah. Um, frantic exchange I can see it particularly with the to the end deck I just don't particularly like it because I think it, it forces you to make subpar decisions a lot of the time with upgrades and gambits uh, and even then maybe you play four you're, you're hoping your opponent plays the fifth and they don't and you've wasted your power deck and yeah I can see it working but I'm not a fan personally calculate a risk brilliant cards as with it is as it is in most war bands um, just be careful with Narvi and Tirosh because they are already two wounds and they're very easy to pick off the standard kind of move is you know run through a lethal hex onto an objective but Lethal wards exist, encroaching shadows exist, collapses exist, um, distractions into lethal exist. So just be careful with that. The horror can do it as well, but movement three is a limitation. So you've got a decision to make a lot of the time when you try and score this. Do you summon him next to the lethal hex and risk being pushed in, um, or a run through and get clear of it after your move, or do you summon one away and then be next to it after your move because uh, he's only movement three? So just something to be aware of when you play those cards. Yeah. So so those those are the good ob objective generics. Um, I can keep going if, if you like. For, yeah, I mean, you know, in the interest of in the interest upgrades. of time, maybe like give me like yeah. three or four universals for upgrades and, and uh, gambits that you think are, are great for this car or this warband. <laughs> That's difficult. It's difficult. Okay, so we've talked about standard control. Won't go into those anymore. Uh, positioning, any kind of positioning card is good. Any kind of objective manipulation is good. Uh, transfixing stair, lead bone dust are both incredible. Um, I was very sad when Transfixing Stair was um, was restricted. Leadbone Dust will get more utility out of the most because you can bring the horror up next to somebody and it's a poor man's Transfixing Stair, but it's it's worth a look. Survivor cards we mentioned, and that's everything that will keep you alive. I won't list them all because there's loads. Um, picks that you might not look at but are worth looking at are Lucky Escape and Praise Cunning, which just gives you that some insulation against pit traps and uh, snares, particularly for Vortimus. You know, a three damage attack with a pit trap can, can ruin your day. Uh, looking at you, uh, Scaith. Um, good combo. Stand and shoot and Judas Speed are very good to keep you alive. Uh, for those that don't know, play stand and shoot while you've got Judas Speed attached, and then you can react to your own attack uh, and move yourself one away, and the, the range one attack can't be used, so that's worth knowing about. Uh, Fameway Crystal, brilliant as an escape card. Um, I, I will keep going on just because there are so many good picks. Please forgive me. Um, Earthing Stone can be fantastic against objective decks that the horror can bring up. Um, and, and really ruin a Thorns player day. Disturbing Presence, worth a look at. Stops your opponent charging if the horror is adjacent. 
Fighters Frosty and uh, Glory Seeker stats to the horror for three damage. Potential six damage if he's a Brimstone. That's great. Um, honorable mentions to Uncommitted, Magical Mastery, Shard Caller, Charm Life, Covers in Spoils, Keep Shopping, Lethal Snares. There's All weird picks that so are my competitive decks, Yeah, but you can have a play with it. Right on. Um, there's, there's so many options, which I think is the key point there. Sorry, there was on mute. No, I think I think those are some great cards, um, and and lots of lots of great utility there as well. Um, let's talk about let's talk about matchups. Um, yeah, sure. So I guess in terms of matchups, what 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 are the ones you prefer? Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be warband specific, but more of yeah. what kind of style they're playing. Yeah, so I think if you can win boards, most aggro are good matchups. Um, the caveat being really fast aggro. So maybe with the exception of Wild Hunt and Reavers or something like that. Um, slow aggro all the time. So that they're good against um, Condemners and, and Iron Souls and uh, those sort of warbands. They're good against Profiteers if, if they can win boards. Um, I think the key caveat to that is what faction cards your opponent might have. So I remember in our games, for example, Seek the Sky Vessel uh, really ruined my day because I wasn't, I, I didn't think it could be used with a fighter that had a charge token. Um, something I, I did adjust in, in later play that was a, that was a good lesson to learn um, so aggro but be aware of what, what tricks your opponent might have as well as your own tricks um, control play styles do very well into Molog and to a lesser extent Magors and Profiteers which I think is why I had good success with them in the October Grand Clash because they were relatively popular yeah right on the, the Sea Sky Vessel is a very strong card in general um, oh, that's awesome yeah. I'm loving it when I'm playing Profiteers yeah it's, it's, it's good um, what about what about sums that you find challenging? Um, you know that we talk about the uh, natural yeah. dichotomy between objective control and uh, aggro, and so in this case, it may, I'm assuming that you struggle against objective or eyes of nine struggle against objective play. Yeah, they they do they do. Um, I think it was around December time before Far has hit where where it was yeah really tough. I had some really close games, but just the score potential of Grimwatch and Thorns then, and I think still now is intimidating um i think i think that and fast aggro are your your natural um uh, weaknesses i think if, if you've got a meta that is quite objective heavy lots of thorns lots of gears lots of grimwatch um you might have to play around with your meta picks so things like double confusion confusion and arcane transposition which goes really well with the horror earthing stone those kind of cards can be really good maybe some objective destruction so uh, abyssos of making even lethal snares you might want to put in um uh, and just play it by ear, depending on your local meta. I think that'd be quite good. Um, control matchups are a weird one. It can go either way based on draw and how aggressively you, you lean on uh, your damage through Kacharik and how the dice go. Um, so, so they're a bit of a 50-50, I find. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, sounds like for the most part, they've they've got pretty decent matchups and, and you can kind of adapt pretty quickly, uh, given some forethought and planning, which again is very in line with the overall theme here. Um, <laughs> yes. Preparation and... Uh, uh, you know, looking ahead, when you're looking at boards and how yeah. uh, you know you prefer to set them up, uh, you know we always generally see like longboarding, which we, we alluded to earlier, and that the max offset. <laughs> but you know, how does your deployment strategy change based on the warband or the the um, the assumed matchup or playstyle that you're going to see? I think so because they've got that horror, they can project attacks uh, into your opponent's battlefield really well. So that is a key advantage of longboards because your opponent can't get to you, uh, but you can still disrupt and you can still uh, block and you can still um, 
you know, control your opponent using that horror. So leveraging that by going on boards uh, often works really well. I think a benefit of it that, that is less obvious is that there are, okay, there might be fewer, fewer, fewer hexes to cover to get to you, but I think it's easier for you to predict where your opponent might go because there's, there's fewer, if they want to get closer, there are fewer options they can take. Um, and I think generally with this warband, when you're playing it, you've got so many options. Um, and when you look at your hand, you look at the board state and you think, I could do so many things here, what is best? And that decision paralysis can be quite tricky to overcome. And it goes with experience, but if you limit your opponent's options uh, spatially, you can make things easier for yourself and you can see things a bit clearer sometimes. Uh, I think long balls too can also put your opponent on the back foot. Um, they'll look at the ball and think, oh, well, I'm not scoring anything for the first turn. Um, and that, that has an effect. That psychological impact has an effect. Um, but, but, you know, you've, you've got to weigh it on the on the merits of, of the situation. Um, uh, full offset might be better if it means that their key fighters are out of threat range, which might not be the case if it's long boards, for example. Yeah, okay. Makes a lot of sense there and, and, and pretty solid advice. Um, I think that, that about wraps it up for the as of the nine. Uh, I mean, some great, great advice on, on how to play the warband and, and kind of their strengths and weaknesses there and board setups. Um, if there's someone who's new or returning to the warband after some time mm. what are some like maybe like three top points that you would give them or remind them rather uh when playing this warband we've already mentioned it i think i think patience is the key thing uh, if you want to make these guys work i think a lot of people start this warband and they they choose a, a normal archetype let's say objective player or aggro play it doesn't work because they're not well suited to it uh, and they they give up on them I think you have to tweak it. You have to find your own play style. Hopefully this guide will be useful to, to give you a leg up when you first start. Um, but be prepared to lose a lot of games. I, I learned the game with Eyes of the Nine. I think that's been very good for me to, to learn how to play the game. Um, but I lost the first, I don't know, eight games. Um, absolutely got thrashed as well. We're not talking little losses here. I got battered. Um, and I think you need that that perseverance to, to do well with them. In my mind, it's worth it because they not many people play them and they're, they're fun. You know, it's nice to play things that are a little bit unique, uh, a little bit quirky, certainly in my mind. And I'd say, yeah, stick with it. Absolutely. yeah, And, and that goes for, for any warband for sure, but doubly so when you're playing a warband that um, is not as powerful at first glance, but can truly become powerful the more reps and the more effort and energy you put into it, such as Eyes of the Nine and... Uh, some other warbands out there, like, you know, recently Godsworn did really well at an online event, mm. and everyone's thinking they're not too hot. So, uh, perseverance, effort, energy, but doubly so, I think, for the eyes of the nine. Um, <laughs> you have to be a special type of crazy to play those guys so consistently, but it's a good thing. <laughs> awesome. Well, well, thank you so much for talking about the eyes of the nine. Um, yeah, one course. thing that uh, you know, one thing that we're doing is we're kind of doing these rapid-fire questions that... Mm. Um, it's just a little bit of fun for you and for me and, and for our listeners um, and kind of jumps a little bit away from the technical aspect of things, but again, is a great insight into you and uh, what your you know favorite things are about this hobby or Underworld specifically. So I'm just going to jump right in, um, think about what comes to mind first and, uh, you know, try to try to make it fun. <laughs> such test kind of style. <laughs> uh, so question number one, what's your favorite yeah. fighter or who's your favorite fighter in the game? I blue horror any every time. I mean, I guess he's tied with the Brimstone Horror, but technically they are the same. They are one and the same. That's right. One <laughs> is within the other. Uh, um, I guess a <laughs> favorite warband to play, and, and what's that say about you as a person? I think we know where this one's going. 
Oh, God, um, Ace Colour is a nine, and I suppose that means I'm a masochist. <laughs> um, if you could bring back any card from season one back to the current championship format, what would it be? Um, I don't, well, well, tricky. I'd say Shard Gale. It has to be Shard Gale. Uh, just the stakes become so much higher for everybody as soon as that card is played. I think honorable mention to Pure Carnage, just because it was fun and opened up other playstyles. But yeah, one damage across the board, please. Yeah, it's like it's like playing um, it's like the movie Crank, right? Just a little bit of damage, and you just get that adrenaline going, and you don't really know <laughs> what's gonna happen there. High stakes, yeah. High stakes for sure. Is is there a model you loved painting or can't wait to paint? Um. I mean, it's a difficult one for me, actually, because I, I convert and, and proxy a lot of things. I am very much looking forward to paint my converted uh, Storm Sire. He's a, a curseling from the, the Age of Sigmar lore. He's got this weird little creature on his back, and he's, he's all zinchy, and um, he's got you know, weird armor, and yeah, I'm looking forward to undercutting him. Yeah, what about some of those newer warbands uh, that are on the horizon? That they're good. I mean, I haven't I haven't got any conversion thoughts to make them zinchy, which is the problem. But no, I, I'd feel like a traitor to my cause if I took them as they are. So yeah, they're lovely, but not my cup of tea. Right on. <laughs> um, what warband would you? Or actually, skipped one. Well, who's your least fighter in the the game? Least favorite fighter. Least favorite. Um, well. It has to be. Yeah. Come on, three damage with a bone. What's that about? Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. Look at him, he's he's tiny. I have thoughts, but they might be redundant at this point, so <laughs> we'll, we'll jump on. This is about you, Adam. <laughs> I'm not trying to bait you. I no, promise. no, no. Yeah, no, no, no. Um, but I, I, I would agree to an extent. It's it is an, it is an interesting design for sure. Interesting, um, interesting design. Yeah. Um, what warband would you like to see in the future? This doesn't necessarily have to be uh, a specific faction. It could be a mechanic, a play style, a model, count, etc. Um, I think, uh, well, I think I've, I've seen it around uh, mentioned, but uh, my friend from local gaming group, Rob Harris, mentioned it first to me, um, a, a desperate group of, of kind of human realm survivors that have somehow find their way in the Beast Grove and they're just trying to escape and they, they definitely are the quarry, they are the prey, um, you know, a weird kind of old school, I guess it harks back to the original Hero Quest that got me interested in the first place, but, but grittier and a more desperate, that's what I'd like to see. Yeah, I definitely think so. I would love to see some sort of cities of Sigmar or like free guild, like yeah. dudes who just end up in the wrong place at the wrong time and way are we're outmatched, out outnumbered, but in true human fashion, find a way to make it work. So yeah, exactly. I'd probably play them because again, masochist. Yeah. Well, after you painted them blue, of course. <laughs> Naturally. Um, if you could change one thing about the eyes of the nine, whether it's a it's a warband. Uh, model specific or card specific, what would it be? That's an easy one. Uh, make Navia and Tirosh level one wizards. It would be great. Yeah. Would you make them three wounds as well, or? I mean, that's greedy. <laughs> Fair <laughs> sure, enough. Yeah, give them, give them four. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I think the wizards, the wizard level is a big thing. That'd be that'd help I'll them so it. much. I'll take it. Um, and and Adam, if if people want to find you and they want to talk to you about Eyes of the Nine or, or any questions in general. Where can they find you if they want to hear more? Sure. Um, so I, I play on, on Vassal. Uh, my username is Adam FP on that. Um, otherwise, I'm relatively active on the uh, Warhammer Underworlds Facebook group um, with my my Facebook handle, uh, Adam Flondpike, which is not my real name, but uh, it serves a purpose. 
uh, yeah, if, if you do have any questions, any queries, just send me a message on either one of those platforms uh, and I'll get back to you. Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for your time and, and uh, your enthusiasm today. I was really trying to think hard on who would be the perfect for Eyes of the Nine and uh, <laughs> your name kept popping up in my head when I was talking to Jonathan. So um, super excited to have this recorded, super excited to get this out. And uh, it was honestly just generally really nice catching up with you as well. Yeah, you too, man. And then thanks very much for having me on. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very kind of you to ask me. Yeah, for sure. Again, very few people rock Eyes of the Nine as hard as you do. So, uh, well, that's true. I didn't have too much competition. <laughs> yeah, maybe Eric. But, uh, <laughs> maybe Eric. Maybe yeah, Eric, to be fair. So. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Well, all right, everyone. That's it for this episode. If you have any feedback, questions, or comments, let us know on Facebook at Path to Glory Podcast. You can also follow us on Podbean, where you can find the show notes for this episode. You can rate us on iTunes, listen to us on Spotify, and follow us on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we wish you the best of luck on your path to glory. Stay easy, friends.